Hello, everybody. I'm Ivis Galarsep, and it is Saturday, the day before U.S. men's national team takes on Canada. And it's two days after the disappointing 0-0 draw against El Salvador. And we obviously have to talk about both. And apologies for not getting you a show sooner. It's just been busy. Just been really busy. Uh, the last couple of days, uh, juggling, got a few different hats on these days. And uh, with these two games, the quick turnaround, I mean, in an ideal world, we would have just done a separate uh, El Salvador episode and then a Canada, Canada preview episode, but just not enough time. So I'll combine them both in this one. And, you know, there's plenty to talk about as much as there wasn't much action or, you know, much memorable action in the U.S. El Salvador game. But we, there's plenty to talk about there. And then, of course, we have to preview the big game in Nashville. U.S. men's national team in Nashville to take on Canada. A Canada team that obviously came into the qualifying cycle with a lot of hype, a lot of expectations. And obviously me, I picked them. I picked them to finish top three in, in, in in the region, qualify automatically for the World Cup. But they didn't have the best start either. You actually you could argue they had a worse start than the U.S. Because dropping points at home is a whole other thing than picking up a point on the road. So if you're talking about which team is heading into their meeting on Sunday in better shape, the U.S. is in better shape. But don't go throwing any parades for the United States because that, that performance on Thursday left a lot to be desired. And, uh, you know, I'm not sitting here, I'm not going to sit here and bash everything about this game. Even though there's more, there was more negative than positive. But I always like to kind of look at the big picture and always try to keep things in, in, in proper perspective. And at the end of the day, the team accomplished the bare minimum required, which was a point. You want to get a point on the road. That's your minimum requirement. When you are the heavy favorite, when you're one of the top teams in the region, you're one of the top two, you could argue top two, not two, (laughs) number one in the region, and you're going up against an El Salvador team that is not expected to qualify for the World Cup, is not regarded as a top four team in the octagonal. So given that, you absolutely should at least get a point. And that's what they did. They got the least the least required and they they did that so credit to the u.s for getting the point that they had to get but they got nothing else i mean literally like not many chances not much in the way of control in the game much less domination which i know people were hoping to see expecting to see when you consider the types of teams that these players play for uh you know the the quality on the roster and then you wonder, okay, why did it not come together? And we're going to get into that. There's there's reasons for this. And, uh, you know, overall, the over, my, my kind of overall impression of the game was when, I, when it was over, I thought the team just didn't play great. But I also wasn't surprised that a young team with, with just no, re, not much at all experience in, in World Cup qualifying, would struggle a bit on its first go round and its first crack at qualifying. And for those who don't who, who don't know the stats or, or weren't aware of the resumes of the players, twelve players, twelve, played in their first World Cup qualifier. 
And World Cup qualifying is a different animal. It doesn't matter who you play. It doesn't matter if you're playing Mexico. It doesn't matter if you're playing the eighth team or the the last team in the rankings. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be a cakewalk. You're not just going to, you know, dance around and, and just dominate. Not all the time. Not You know, rarely do you see that, especially on the road. And they went up against an El Salvador team that you knew was going to be organized, motivated, and have the energy of their crowd. Great crowd, great atmosphere, you could tell, in El Salvador. I was, I was not there. I, I was in New York City at CBS Studios working, with the, working on, the, on the actual uh, broadcast. So I was definitely having some FOMO, just not, you know, watching the, the, the images from El Salvador. And it's one of the few places in CONCACAF that I haven't been to in my years of covering the U.S. men's national team. But great atmosphere. El Salvador definitely fed off that, and they, they came with the energy. They came with the fight and the bite. You knew, you, you knew that Hugo Perez was going to have his team in the right mindset to fight. And that's what they did. And you saw how the first half went. It was, very, it was a physical first half. El Salvador definitely was looking to get stuck in. They weren't afraid to commit fouls. They weren't afraid to try to push the Americans around. And to be clear, El Salvador, it's not like El Salvador had a team full of grizzled veterans with dozens of qualifiers under their belts. However, they definitely came in with an attitude that they were ready to fight. And unfortunately for the U.S., not enough of their players had that mindset. Did not come in with that mentality, with the right mentality to come into that kind of game with, with, with urgency. That's what was missing. The big, the word... The word of the day is urgency, and the team just lacked it. And, you know, I wrote about that, and, and I know I saw at least one person ask me, so well, why could this team not have an urgency? They should know what's on the line. And, like, look, it's all well and good to for people to know it, but for a, a, a collection of young players that haven't lived it and haven't been there, you don't know how a group is going to respond. And when you have a team almost entirely of new faces, a, a team almost entirely of players who'd never played in this, this environment before. It's not a surprise. I mean, look, all you got to do is look across uh, CONCACAF on Thursday night and look how, how the matches went. Canada, heavily favored to beat Honduras. What happens? They draw in Toronto. Mexico, facing a, an, a Jamaica team with missing half their players. Missing all of their uh, England-based players, the, these new Mikel Antonio, the, all the reinforcements that Leon Bailey, the 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 cream of the crop in terms of their 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 squad, they did not have them. And guess what? Mexico needed until the 88th minute to find a winner in Mexico City. Then you have Costa Rica, who you know some people see once again qualifying for the World Cup. They go to Panama, and they get dominated. It ended up 0-0, and it ended up a draw, but they Panama dominated Costa Rica. So it just shows you how tough it is. So when you look at, when you kind of size up how the the visiting, you know, it's not it's not an easy road. It's not an easy road. And that's not, an, and that's not to make an excuse. It's just laying, in the, laying out the reality. And you were, and I, and I'll be the first to admit, I was curious how would this young team would respond to this new environment, this new challenge, new situation. And I wasn't impressed. I w and and the reason I wasn't impressed is because 
I definitely got the sense that there were some players there who clearly, like, not intimidated. This U.S. team was not intimidated by by the atmosphere, by the opponent. It almost felt like they just they were just happy to be there. They were they were just happy in the knowledge that El Salvador wasn't really going to push them or wasn't really going to knock them over or really land the punch to put them in trouble. So you had players who just who were kind of almost content to ride along and take the point. And I know, look, I'm not saying any of these players were sitting there saying, I'm happy with the draw, I'm happy with the draw, but very few of them played with that, that urgency to get the three points. Tyler Adams was the exception. Gio Reyna in the second half was an exception. But there just weren't enough others who you could point to and say, that guy is playing like three, it's three points or else. And that's what you need. And that's a mentality that, you know, more often than that comes with the experience. It comes with being in these kind of battles enough times that you know you have to bring it from the, from the start. So why didn't the team do better? Why didn't all this talent come together and produce more? I mean, there's no, there's no magic answer. There's no easy answer. But one thing I would point out for someone, one of the readers on SBI asked, well, how is it that all these players play for these great teams and can play well on these great teams, but then they come together and they don't, and they don't necessarily just deliver the magic. And one thing I would definitely point to is that it's one thing to be a talented player on a stacked team, but you don't have to be the guy. When you are one of the pieces in a big, beautiful puzzle. If you're Giorina and you're at Dortmund, it's not just you. You have Erling Haaland, Marco Royce, uh, Torgan Hazard. You have weapons all over. You're Sergio Dest at Barcelona. You have, well, you don't have as much talent as you used to have, but you you ha- used to have Lionel Messi. You used to have Antoine Griezmann. Uh, you know, so you don't have to be the guy. And there's a comfort level in that. There's a, there, it, it, it's easy. It's you can do your thing when you know there's just talent all around you, and you more often than not are dominating games, and your your team is more often than not dominating games. Brendan Aronson, Red Bull Salzburg. Salzburg runs the Austrian league. How many weeks? Uh, out of the season, do you think Salzburg is really getting into trouble? They have a very, very, very good team. And by Austrian league standards, they are the cream of the crop, obviously. So the point is, like, you, all these players are talented. All these players are are good enough to already be making strides in top European leagues for top European teams. But none of them have to be the man on their teams. And then what did we get on Thursday? We got a collection of players that there was, they all have talent, but there was no leadership. There was no, no one stepped up to say, Hey, let's do this. Let's, let's go after these guys, particularly the, in in the attack. And that's going to come with time. It's going to come with time. And, you have a you do have one attacking player who can give you that who's already been through that that transition of learning to 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 develop that and that's Christian Pulisic he's been through a world cup qualifying cycle 
And he actually, by the end of that World Cup qualifying cycle, the last one, he was the guy. And he played like he was the guy. He played like he knew he I'm the main threat and I need to bring it. And maybe that's the realization Giorena had in the second half when he's like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it happen. But you know what? Even then, you still can't do it on your own. That's what we're talking about when we talk about growing pains and needing to gain the experience. So no one should be happy with the, with the performance, but at least try to understand it and understand why this team, you know, fell short. And fans have every right to be disappointed. And I'm sure there's already some panic and there's already some the concern and there's already the the math breaking the math down like wait a minute if you lose to Canada uh oh you go to Honduras with one point what happens all of a sudden we could you know by the end of September the US could be in trouble and I'm not I'm not going to sit here and say don't panic because people are going to they're going to be worried regardless some people are just going to look at it that way and freak out and have that PTSD from the last cycle understandable totally understandable but I think it's going to be a li- it's going to be a much different atmosphere, much different situation, much different uh, team. Once you bring in Christian Pulisic, once you plug in John Brooks, once you make some of the lineup changes that I'm pretty sure Greg Berhalter is going to make, like Sebastian Legette, who, as much as I know that there's some fans that don't rate him and don't think he's brings anything to the table, he absolutely does. He has experience. He's played CONCACAF opponents multiple times, has performed well against these opponents. He played against Canada, Nations League 2019. He was in the starting lineup when the United States roasted Canada 4-1 in Orlando. You plug him in, you plug Pulisic in, you plug John Brooks in, you put Anthony Robinson at left back, you move Serginho Dest to right back. And let's talk about Serginho Dest for a minute. Because... This guy, I don't know what it is. And I know some people will say, well, it's simple. Don't play him out of position. The thing is, he should be able to play left back and handle the duties of the position. He's done it before. But it feels like lately, the last couple of times he's played it left back, he treats it like a holiday. He treats it like, oh, well, I'm over here. That means I can attack. I can maybe. And I don't know if it's a, a misinterpretation of the role or an exaggerated uh, reading of the situation. Because I'm sure Greg Berhalter, when he's putting Dest on left, he's letting Dest know, I need you to attack. I need you to pressure this side of the field. And in Dest, you know, in, in his calculation, he starts to get trick happy. He starts to, you know, want to play around with the ball. and uh, But you don't see him do that when he's at right back as much. I mean, he still tries. He's always trying. He's always trying the sauce. He's always trying to bring the sauce, which is fine. But you got to pick your spots, buddy. You can't be dancing on the ball in your own defensive third. And I know there was that one moment where he lost the ball, but he got it back. But still, don't put yourself in those situations. And he did that way too often. So you move him to right back where it feels like he's just more disciplined. It feels like he's more, uh, obviously he's more comfortable there. It's his natural side. But that being said, he should be able to play left back. He should be able to play better 
than he's played the last couple of times he's played there. And something else that I would add to Serginho Dest and why I think he'll be better against Canada is he's someone who rises, like he's someone who gets up for challenges. And I would say he went into the El Salvador game, maybe almost taking it for granted that, you know what? I'm better than these guys. These guys can't see me. So, you know, it's almost like a a casual approach to this game. And that's what I got from Dest. Like, he he just felt like, oh, this was a little walk in the park. I think he knows Canada is not going to be that. He knows that more than likely he's, he's going to match up with Alfonso Davies. And he matched up with him in 2019 in the Nations League. And he he locked him down. For those who don't remember, Serginho Dest outplayed Alfonso Davies in the Nations League. And that Davies and that Serginho Dest was, that's him at his best. When he's locked in, he can defend and he can be a threat getting forward. He can really do it all. And, and I still remember that game. He did it all and he did it in a very disciplined way. He was locked in. In a way that he just wasn't on Thursday. And hopefully for the U.S., the challenge of Davies, the challenge of Canada, will bring the best out of Dest again. Because I can tell you right now, what we saw on Thursday was nowhere near Dest's best. And if anyone's sitting here saying, well, you know, maybe he's just not good. No, Serginho Dest can be very good. Serginho Dest can be elite. But when he's not locked in, when he's kind of in like fun mode, when he's kind of treating it as like he's got like training, training ground kind of attitude and approach to things. Yes, he looks mediocre. He doesn't look like a Barcelona player. He doesn't look like a La Liga player, like a twenty five million dollar fullback. No, not at all. Twenty five thousand dollar fullback, maybe. But he can be better. And I think he will be better against Canada. Now, let's talk about the attack. Because, look, the defense, for the most part, played well. And Tim Ream, before even I get into the attack, how about, look, let's take a moment for Tim Ream. Let's, let's give my man some flowers. Because when the lineup came out, actually, I'll tell you, I saw, I saw the lineup a few hours before it came out uh, in my duties working with CBS. I saw the lineup. And uh, I as soon as I saw it, I said, wait a minute. Like, the fans are going to freak out because it's like the one... The one thing I don't think any fan was expecting was Tim Tim Ream to start and John Brooks not to play. Like, I don't think people had kind of done the chess move uh, reading to see that, you know what, Gibraltar might rest Brooks now playing for the second and third games. And that's what he did. So when I saw that line, I said, "Uh oh, people are going to freak out. And what will Tim Ream do? Because you know what? He's playing great for Fulham. He's actually off to a great start to the season. Fulham is off to a great start. Tim Reams has been a big part of that. However, his Nations League final performance wasn't that long ago. People have not forgotten how much he struggled and how he got roasted repeatedly by Mexico. And it was that performance that made me say, you know what? Okay, his days are up. It's time to move on. I didn't think we'd ever see him again. And lo and behold, here he is. He's back. And then he starts. So I was like, oh, this is not going to go out. But credit to Tim Ream. He did the job. He made the plays. He showed off the passing skills, like being able to break lines. 
his poise. He like he understands his limitations. I don't think he's walking around here thinking he's the you know the fastest guy on earth or that he's just like a lockdown center back. Like I, I know he doesn't think that. But Berhalter, to his credit, he put him in a situation to succeed. He put him in a, in a perfect position to succeed. And why? Because El Salvador, in their 4-3-3 setup, they play with one striker. Joaquin Rivas, Miles Robinson pretty much locked him down. And that gave Reem the freedom to help cover for everyone else. And he did that job perfectly. So credit to him, credit to Berhalter for taking that risk. And having it pay off. But unfortunately, that, you know, that gamble paying off for the defense didn't lead to a win because the attack didn't show up. Brendan Aronson just wasn't good enough. Josh Sargent wasn't good enough. Conrad De La Fuente wasn't good enough. Weston McKinney wasn't good enough. On the day, for what they can do, and what we know they can do, none of those players came close to fulfilling their potential and their ability. Now there were moments. Each of the, you know, most of them had did help create some moments and have some opportunities, but overall, not good enough. And McKinney, I, I was a little surprised by McKinney, and not to say he had a bad, bad, bad game. He just, you know, he could do better. And it felt like you're watching him on cruise control. And his cruise control is still pretty decent. Okay, he'll still make things happen. But it's still not his prime. It's still not his peak. And they needed that. Especially on a day when Brendan Aronson and De La Fuente and Sargent. They just, it just wasn't working for them. So, you know, Aronson, you can chalk it up. Because look, it's his first time. It's his first qualifier. And, uh, you know, Conrad, again, Con- how many games does Conrad Del Fuente have with the national team as a starter? Not many, let alone in qualifying, let alone on the road. So him not, you know, blowing, you know, tearing it up like he's t- torn it up with Marseille didn't shock me. Brendan Aronson having his struggles didn't shock me. Weston McKinney not ha- not dominating. That surprised me. Absolutely. And G- and Giorena in the first half. Not being aggressive, that surprised me. But credit to Jerry in the second half. You saw him really step it up, really show that urgency. But unfortunately, it that was it wasn't infectious. You didn't see the other players start to, you know, see take his lead, unfortunately. And Josh Sargent, I tell you what, it, it was interesting. So, you know, Charlie Davies definitely caught a lot of flack for his comments about Charlie about Josh Sargent because Charlie Davies sang Josh Sargent's praises. And, uh, you know, as someone as someone who heard all of Charlie Davies comments about Sargent at the Nations League, I know that Charlie Davies is not a big Josh Sargent fan. So I was as surprised as anybody that he actually gave him gave him some props with this game. And and, and I think it's just a case of the bar being pretty low uh, for Sargent in Davies's eyes. So then as soon as he showed anything, it was like, OK, maybe there it is. And look, I think Sargent is a good striker. I think he can be a good striker. Did this game show it against El Salvador? No, absolutely not. But that might that that performance might be the one that costs him that starting striker role. Because for me, I think you got to go with Jordan Pifak in this next game against Canada. Obviously, Pifak has been playing regularly and playing well for young boys. 
helped them get to the Champions League group stage. He had a huge season in Switzerland, scoring uh, you know goals galore, and now he's picked up right where he's left left off. He's playing with confidence. He scored that goal against Honduras in the Nations League. You start him. You for me, you have to start him against Canada. And I thought he showed well even in his you know twenty what is it twenty six minutes or whatever coming off the bench. I thought he showed some good flashes. So if we're talking about lineup to face Canada, start with striker, go Jordan Pifak. He's your guy. Start him. On the left wing, Christian Pulisic, it's easy. First name rewrite on the on the team sheet. Right wing, Giorena once again. And I know there are people who are still asking why doesn't he play centrally? Why, if you know, it's it's a, it's just predictable at this point because I know there were definitely people who were like, ah, oh, see, Aronson struggled because he didn't play on the wing. Like, no, Aronson plays centrally. He plays there for his club this year. He played there for his club with the Union. He plays that position. Just because he has played on the wing does not mean he is a winger. That's not his like his main number one position. It's not. It's not. He can do it. But let's not pretend, let's not create this narrative that he struggled because he was not on the wing. That's BS, period. He struggled because he struggled because he, it was a new experience for him. He wasn't up for the challenge. Doesn't mean he won't be the next time. It doesn't mean he still won't have chances down the road. And maybe he crushes it in qualifiers later. But this game, not good enough. But it wasn't because of where he was positioned. And for me, as I've said multiple times, Giorena, you put him out wide, let him take people on, let him attack, let him attack fullbacks, let him have that space to operate, as opposed to getting beat up in the blender that is the central midfield in CONCACAF. And I think the same applies against Canada. Only he should have more room because you're going to have Christian Pulisic on the other side. You can't cheat. You can't cheat on Giorena's side when you have Christian Pulisic on the other side. So for me, that's your front three. Now, who starts in the midfield? Obviously, Tyler Adams. Obviously, Weston McKinney, even though he, you know, for me, should have done better against El Salvador. But who starts in the other spot? And I say it's Sebastian Lejet. You got to go with Sebastian Lejet. As much as I know some people just don't want any MLS players in the lineup, other than Miles Robinson, I guess. But I actually think the Jet brings some good qualities to the table. So, you know, could it be Christian Roldan? I think between Lejet and Roldan, I think you're going to go Lejet. And and you might say, well, is that necessarily fair to Aronson? Is what is that going to do to his confidence? It, you know, now that you know he gets a start, he struggles, and boom, he's on the bench. Well, look, that's just the deal. Aronson knows that. Aronson knows if you don't play well, you can lose your spot, or you don't necessarily play the next game. But he'll have other opportunities. He could have, a, he could have, you know, whether if he doesn't start in his game, he could still play against Honduras. He could still start against Honduras. He could still come off the bench against Canada. So it's not like he's done with the national team because he had one tough game. But I don't think you start him again. I think you go legit. And I think Greg Berhalter, as much as he won't say it, he obviously made decisions with an eye towards this Canada game being the tougher game. No disrespect to El Salvador. But I think the general consensus is that 
Canada is a stronger team than El Salvador. And that's why you sat a John Brooks and you started Tim Ream. You know, Canada's going to present some challenges, no question about it. But I do think the U.S. attack with Pulisic in it, with PFAC at striker, with Leggett in central midfield, I think those changes will lead to more chances and will lead to a better overall performance. Well, it can't be worse. Other than them putting the ball in their own net for own goals, I don't think it could be much worse. They didn't create much at all. But with that attack, I think that attack against Canada, and as good as Canada is, their defense is not great. Their center backs are not great. There's just no other way to say it. Their center backs are very average. So if PFOG is on his game, if Reina is on his game, if Pulisic is on his game, the chances will come. The real question is, how will the U.S. defense hold up? And I'm looking forward to Brooks Robinson at center back. That tandem, that's a dominant. That can be an absolutely dominant tandem. And they're, when you think about it, Jonathan David, Kyle Aaron, that is a strong, strong strike force. That's a strong striker tandem. That's as good. I'd have to think about it, but that, I can't think there's that many better in CONCACAF. If, that might be the, the best forward pairing in CONCACAF. Actually, I'd say absolutely. It is the best forward pairing in CONCACAF. And that's going to be a hell of a matchup. And then you have fullback. You have Anthony Robinson at left back going up against John Buchanan. That's going to be fun. And of course, Des Davies. Des versus Davies. We're going to see. We're going to see this for years. Des got the better of Davies, and I know. I know Davies knows that. So Davies is going to come looking for some revenge. There, he is going to want to have a game. And Dest is going to know that. And Dest is, and Dest, I have to imagine he knows he didn't play well against El Salvador. He will. I still say it. I think he will have a big game against Canada. But that's your back four. So we'll see. We'll see how the U.S. stacks up, but it has to be better. And Greg Berhalter said as much in the post game. Berhalter, to his credit, he did not sit there and try to paint a picture, paint this like a rosy picture of how that game went. He wasn't like jumping for joy. Yay, we got a draw. We got a point. Oh, this is great. This is amazing. No, like he he understood. He knows his team needed to be, could have been better, needed to be better, and will absolutely need to get better going forward. But for the U.S. fans who are nervous, the U.S. fans who are already doing the math and freaking out and thinking about the possibilities and the worst case scenarios, consider Canada. And the fact that they stumbled against Honduras, and that just shows their vulnerabilities. They're not all, they don't have it all figured out either. So it's all well and good to respect Canada and, and know that they have weapons and know that they have an attack that will threaten and will put the defense under pressure. But let's also not ignore the fact that, look, Canada's still a work in progress. They're still trying to figure things out, just like the U.S. is still trying to figure things out. These teams are not the finished products. These teams are coming together. The you know the puzzle pieces you're still trying to piece them together, and the elements are there for two very good teams. Canada can absolutely be a very good team. We already I, I've already said that the U.S. This is a you know we talk about golden generation, and I know people freak out about the phrase, and especially after a performance like this, it's like ah see you call them a golden generation and they lay an egg, and that's your fault because you called them the golden generation. It's like shut up. 
<laughs> they are what they are. And they need to grow into the role. They need to grow into the title. Whether they want it or not, that's their that's their title. That's the label, Golden Generation. This is what it is. Now you got to perform. Either way, you got to perform. But you have you. There's no hiding the fact that the talent is there to do better. So we'll see. We'll see how uh, we'll see how Sunday goes. And uh, as I said, Concacaf's obviously already off to a crazy start with Honduras tying in Canada, Costa Rica tying in Panama. If Mexico hadn't gotten that winner, it, the four ties would have been the ultimate CONCACAF opening night. But credit to Mexico, they got the winner. Henry Martin comes off the bench, picks up the slack because Rogelio Funes Mori couldn't get the job done, couldn't put the ball in the net. But Mexico gets their three points, and they move on. And they get three points without several starters, several stars, several of their best players. Herving Lozano didn't make the trip. He's, in, he's still recovering, I guess, still. Raul Jimenez, Wolves wouldn't let him travel, which has created its own issue. Hector Herrera's injured. Lainez injured. Johan Vasquez injured. Hector Moreno injured. So that's like half of a starting lineup right there. Out. So credit to Tata. You know, he gets his three points. He has his eye surgery, and now Tata Martino will miss the next two qualifiers against Costa Rica and Panama. But they'll be all right. So we'll see what the U.S. can do. They need to win. Ty's not good enough on Sunday. And if they get a draw or they lose on Sunday, everyone ha- every everyone who's already e- e- freaking out or people who are kind of like waiting for a real reason to freak out, you can freak out. If the U.S. loses to Canada, feel, fr- feel free to, you know, just start tossing stuff and saying, oh, my Lord, the end is near. This is it. Because, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's what you don't want. But I got to tell you, I feel good about this group. And I know you might think, why in the hell would you feel good after that performance on Thursday? And I'd say it's because I know what they're going to add in Pulisic, in Brooks, in Anthony Robinson, in Leggett. It's going to be a whole different team. And it's going to be a team that's going to be at home. In front of home fans, they'll have that home support. And I know, and, and please do not think about the Gold Cup game, U.S. Canada in the Gold Cup, because that that's just not at all a game to measure this matchup by and this rivalry by, because that U.S. Gold Cup team was not this team. This is a completely different team. I mean, not completely different, but that Gold Cup team that did not have Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, Pulisic, Stefan, Brooks, Dest, none of these guys. That Canada team was pretty much, obviously they didn't have Davies and David, but it, a lot of their starters were on that team. So Canada, I fully expect a challenge. I fully expect this Canada team to give the U.S. a challenge and push them. And they're not going to make it easy. They're going to make it tough. But that is what is going to show this team, show what this U.S. team can do. We saw it in the Nations League final against Mexico. We saw it in the Gold Cup final. We've seen these players rise to the occasion, rise to the challenge. And this is a big one because you need all three points. And maybe I'm just uh, optimistic, but I think they're going to get it done. I think they're going to win. And I think they're going to deliver the kind of performance that will restore some of the faith that might have been lost on Thursday 
and some of the faiths that maybe never got never recovered from 2017, never recovered from Cuba and Trinidad and Tobago and that loss, missing the World Cup. But I we already know one result's not going to change that for some people. For some people, they they'll be that angst until the qualification is locked. And that's fine. Understandable. But I still say this team's going to be okay. And it's going to be up to Burhalter to put together the right lineup to get the three points. And I've already told you the lineup I think he should go with. And I actually think that's the lineup he's going to go with for the most part. I I could see him starting Sergeant at striker, giving him another chance. I can see that. If it's me, I'm going PFOC, give him the shot. Get him in there. So we'll see that game. Uh, that game's on Sunday night, and uh, I'll be back on Monday to review that one. That that I'll definitely have the show on Monday. I, I can't push it to Tuesday. I want to have it on Monday, even though it's it's what is it? Uh, Labor Day. It's Labor Day. It's a holiday still. Expect the show on, on Monday. So uh, I think that's it. I think we've covered every aspect of it. How about Kellen Acosta, by the way, at right back? Interesting. He looked good there. Anywhere you put him, he's, he shows up. He shows well. And one thing with Acosta at right back that had me thinking is we all remember Greg Berhalter experimenting with Tyler Adams in that hybrid right back defensive midfield role. Maybe he sees Kellen Acosta for that role. And if Dest doesn't get his act together, maybe we see Kellen Acosta right back against Honduras. But I think Dest is going to be okay. I think he's going to bring it. I think he's going Davies is going to bring the best out of him, and that, and that can mean Davies toasting Dest, just roasting him, getting by him, beating him for a goal, or it'll mean Dest showing his quality, locking down Davies again. Setting up a goal, getting forward, showing the full range. Let's see it. Let's see it, Serginho. We know he likes the, he likes the big stage. He likes the bright lights. Well, they're going to be pretty bright on Sunday, so we'll see if he can do it. So I'm gonna my prediction. I'm gonna go. I'm actually gonna go two to one. I don't like going to zeros because you know what, Canada's just so good in their attack. They should be. But I'm gonna go two one U.S. Reina and Pulisic, the stars, they get their goals. In Nashville, should be a great atmosphere. Again, I won't be there. I'll be in New York City. I'll be uh, working with uh, Clint Dempsey and Moe Du, Charlie Davies and Gucci Onyewu. Uh, I thought those guys did great. The, for, and if you missed it, there was a two-hour pregame show. And if you don't already have it, you need to go get Paramount Plus because uh, that the Honduras qualifier will be on Paramount Plus. You got the pregame show, postgame show, and uh, you might have even spotted me if you were looking very closely on the broadcast on uh, on Thursday. I did show up when Clint Dempsey uh, went and got the Aguchio Yewu calculator folders. That was me. I handed them to Clint Dempsey. That was my point, 0.05 seconds of fame, even though you didn't really see me. You couldn't see me. I had a mask on and all that, but I had on my bread Jordan 2s. But two-hour pregame show, I mean, talk about ambitious. And I thought it came off pretty well. I'm going to watch it. 
I'm going to watch it properly today now, but it was good. It was good. And I, and I, I obviously I'm on the team, so I'm part, I'm, you know, I'm biased, but I tell you what, man, the coverage on Paramount plus of qualifying is just, no one's ever tried to do what Paramount plus and CBS sports network are doing with it, with the qualifiers, with CONCACAF qualifiers and having all the rights and really, and showing all the games and then having the, the coverage around it. It's great. I mean, as someone who's been around CONCACAF and qualifying for the last 20, however many years, to to just see it all kind of really treated like it should be treated, it's been fun. And it's been great to be a part of. So looking forward to seeing how that continues to develop and evolve. But uh, I think I've, I've rambled down for 45 minutes just talking about the U.S. men's national team and their qualifying campaign. And honestly, I don't feel like there's anything else to talk about. Obviously, MLS is still playing. Why are you playing MLS? It's all about the international window. It's all about World Cup qualifying. No, I get it. I get it. There were actually some big games on Friday. Nashville beating NYCFC. NYCFC, just when you want to anoint them, just when you want to say, oh, maybe they're the team to beat after they beat New England. What happens? They go to Nashville. And Nashville, nice performance from Nashville to beat NYCFC. 3-1. You had New England Revolution going to Philly, beating, and it's a little, it's not the same New England Philly when Matt Turner and Andre Blake aren't there, but still, it's a nice road win for New England. And how about Henry Kessler, for those who missed it, at the end of that game, it's 1-0 New England, they're holding on, they're in stoppage time. Henry Kessler is time-wasting like a, like a G. He, uh, <laughs> he, there was a ball out, 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 out of touch, and I think it was Alejandro Bedoya was going to try to get the ball. And then Kessler just kicks it into the stands. And then he sees like the replacement ball right there. He takes that and wings it. And so I thought the union were going to kill Henry Kessler. But Henry Kessler, that's uh, bravo. Bravo, Henry Kessler. That You deserve a, you deserve an award for, for that, uh, you know, <laughs> that performance. But New England, big road win. Uh, Portland Timbers beat the Houston Dynamo on Friday. And... Tad Ramos, you know, obviously Matt Jordan gets fired as GM. That was that was expected. That was always that was always going to happen. But as Houston continues to struggle to get any points, continues to struggle to win, they've gone what is it, fourteen, fifteen in a row without a win. Now, I I don't know how much longer Tad Ramos is going to have there. Um, as much as the ownership, you'd like to think that, okay, if they get rid of the GM, they see him being the problem. Maybe now they bring in the new GM that helps get Tyre Bramos the players he needs to succeed, right? But you keep going this long without a win, at a certain point, it just becomes, it becomes a bit of a lost cause. So I have a feeling we might be looking at another coaching change in MLS, unless you have some very, very patient owners in Houston. And uh, the big the big performance on Friday night. How about LAFC smoking Sporting Kansas City four nil? LAFC was missing like half their team. Diego Rossi's off to Pet Fenerbahce, and Sporting KC has most of their lineup. And LAFC wins four zero. That's and talk about a big big needed victory for Bob Bradley's team. They had one in what is it six or seven without a win. And they get that win. And obviously, Roger Espinosa with the red card that, you know, it was 1-0 when Espinosa got the red. And then, obviously, LEFC, the floodgates opened. So that, you know, you need to point that out. But still, big win for LEFC. And you want to see how they move forward now without Rossi. Um, 
They obviously lost Eddie Segura with the torn ACL, so they're already dealing with issues. But they still can play attractive soccer. They can still play effective soccer. Bob Bradley has not forgotten how to coach. So I'm very curious to see how they evolve and what kind of threat they're going to be come playoff time. Because they they're going to be there. And my, you ask me, am I putting my money? LAFC will be in the playoffs. But we'll see just how much of a threat they're going to be. And as I'm doing this show, I, I meant to do it earlier, but just so much stuff going on. And guess what? Ivis Jr. is back from college already. Yes, of course, to get some laundry done. But it's great to have him home. So I, I part of me was ready to say, you know what? I'm not even going to record because I just want to hang out with my son. But I know some of you were waiting for an episode and I had to bring it. I had to bring it. I had to talk about these, the, the game on Thursday. And obviously I had to preview uh, USA Canada and I think it's going to be a great game just to kind of wrap it up since I didn't really wrap it up but just to wrap it up I think USA Canada is going to be a great game I really want to see the matchup between Canada's fullbacks if it's going to be Alistair Johnson and Richie Larea again against the US wingers in Pulisic and Reina that's a great matchup and that's going to be a great battle and then obviously the other way you have Anthony Robinson Serginio Dest against Alfonso Davies and Tejan Buchanan so the fullbacks are going to tell the tale. The fullbacks versus the wingers are really going to determine who wins this game, in my opinion. And it's a toss-up. It's a toss-up. But I'm going to go the U.S. 2-1, as I said. I think Jonathan David gets himself a goal, but the U.S. gets the win. They get the three points they need. And then the U.S. fans can breathe a little bit easier after, uh, you know, after Thursday's uh, <laughs> frustration fest. So... But I think that's it. I think, uh, you know, that's all That's all I'm going to cover for now. Uh, I just want to get this episode out and published. So give people at least a full 24 hours to try to hear it and listen to it and take it in before Sunday's big game. And I'll be back on Monday to preview or to recap U.S.-Canada. And then obviously we'll talk U.S.-Honduras on Wednesday. U.S. going down to Honduras, not an easy place to play. And obviously, Honduras showed against Canada. They're a handful. If they can go to Canada and be a handful, you know they're going to be a handful at home. So all of a sudden, that makes beating Canada even more necessary. But I think the U.S. knows that. I know Berhalter knows that. And hopefully his youngsters have figured that out. So we'll see. Should be a good one. Uh, But I think that's all for now. Thank you for listening, as always. And, you know, if you have any feedback, you have any questions... Shoot them my way. Twitter at Soccer by Ivis. Uh, or in the comments on SBI Soccer, the comment section of this uh, episode's post, th- episode 326. But I think that's all for now. And uh, here's to some fun action on Sunday. And hopefully, for US fans, a victory for the US. But that's all for now. I'm Ivis Kalarset. This is the SBI Show.